Ion 2020, episode 23. Hey everybody, thank you for joining me on Ion 2020, your podcast that is going to bring you all of the news, information, and the dirt you're going to need as we go into the 2020 election cycle. Uh, on these candidates and their policies and their positions. I appreciate you joining me. My name is Ray Eaton, your host, and uh, I thank you for you know, lending me your ears for a little while while I share a little bit about some of the news that I've found and some of the information that I've found regarding the 2020 election. Uh, we are ramping up, like I always say, 2020. If it's anything like 2016, we are going to have we are uh, going to have a great time watching it. It's going to be very entertaining, and we are in for a treat. Hey, while you're thinking about it, go ahead and subscribe to my podcast, uh, rate it, review it, do whatever you need to do, just and share it with some friends, things of that nature. I'd love to see you do that. Uh, I'm starting to get more listeners every day. I appreciate you coming back. And, uh, you know, I've just been, I've just been really enjoying doing the podcast on a daily basis. It's really fun just uh, kind of getting into the news, you know, just delving into the news about these candidates finding a little bit out about these people as well. Some of them are interesting, you know, their, their past histories and so forth. Uh, but mostly, you know, it's just uh, nice having a little bit of awareness going on about, what, about a lot of these candidates and what Americans are saying about Donald Trump and so forth. And that's kind of what I wanted to dig into today. Uh, to start off, I've, I've been looking through some articles and so forth, and I found one from the Washington Times and it talks about uh, the majority of Americans would not vote for Trump in 2020, a poll shows. And then it, let me dig into it really fast. This is by Gabriela Munoz of the Washington Times on Tuesday, January 29th. And she says, President Trump may face an uphill battle in swaying voters to his side during the 2020 elections, according to data from two recent polls. According to data from new, a new ABC News Washington Post poll released, Tuesday, a majority, 56% of Americans, said they wouldn't vote for Donald Trump in 2020. Mr. Trump's base is still mostly intact, with 71% of Republicans backing his re-election, although 27% of that same base wanted to change direction. When considering Republican-leaning independents, Mr. Trump's support fell to 65%, and the number of Americans who wanted a new candidate increased to 32%. So what they're getting at is that a lot of people, you know, a majority of Americans, 56% of people said they will not vote for Trump in the next election. But I want, my question is this, uh, when I'm reading this article, I wonder if that 56% of people are people that are likely voters in the first place, because isn't it true that, you know, 30, 40% of people don't vote anyway? So if you have 56% of people in general that will not vote for Trump, is that going to be a majority of Americans? Because can we really take that into account? Now you do have, I think it's, I think it's like twenty or thirty percent of people that are voting are going to be de- Democrat or Republican, and then the rest of those, you know, thirty or forty percent that are going to vote are going to be independents. So what you're really doing is fighting for the independents uh, or fighting for to get your base out. So Donald Trump's going to be fighting to get his base out. They will. They'll get out there and vote for him, right? Um, then the people that say that they would not vote for Trump, well, 
would they vote for the Democrat, though? Does that mean that that 56% of people are just because they're not going to vote for Trump? Is that going to mean they're going to vote for the Democrat? Unless there's a really exciting Democrat for them to vote for, someone that, you know, is, is middle-of-the-road type person, they might not even get inspired to go vote for that person as well. So you might just have people sitting on their hands and not voting that election cycle. So uh, I, I don't really take too much credence in this poll just because of that, because we... I really don't think that, I really think, oh, I, I, yeah, I really do think it is the base of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party that are going to be out there voting, not the independents. So the independents were trying, they're, they're each going to be trying to sway the independents their way. That's what the candidates are going to be trying to do. But I don't know. I mean, if, if you have five or six percent more people that just decide to stay home because they're uninspired, then it really doesn't matter if there's 56% of people. So the, 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 the poll is true, but it's misleading when they put up a poll like uh, the poll results like that and, and giving the title to the story, majority of Americans would not vote for Trump in 2020 poll shows because a majority of Americans are unlikely to vote in the first place, I guess. If you break it down, Democrats, Republicans, and people that don't vote, I think vote, don't vote sometimes actually wins. So if you had to, if you had to, if the person that got elected was the person that got the most votes and not vote or did not vote was one of the candidates, then did not vote would typically win. That's what I've heard as well. So um, I won't take too much credence on that particular news story, but I just wanted to bring that to you because that is what the headlines are. And that's what the press is trying to say. And I think a lot of times the press is against Donald Trump, so they're going to be printing stuff that is going to favor uh, anti-Trump sentiment rather than, you know, rather than favorable sentiment towards Donald Trump. So just wanted to bring you that today. Also today I found an op-ed about Elizabeth Warren, and this was done from the uh, Boston Herald. And this was Michael Graham on January 29th, and he is responding to an Elizabeth Warren tweet, which shows a picture of a giant house with a ranch in the mountains, beautiful place, uh, it's billionaire Henry Kravis's $46 million ranch, and that is for sale. And uh, she says something to the effect of, okay, this is what she says, billionaires like this guy make me wonder what our country needs more of, ranches with golf courses designed by PGA players and fireplaces imported from European castles or universal childcare and a green new deal. And then she puts hashtag ultra millionaire tax. And then this guy really gives it to her and he, he almost gets to the point, but he doesn't at the end. So he says, he says, uh, I don't know about the Native American stuff, but as, as a sociologist, or excuse me, as a, why did I say sociologist? At, but as a socialist, well, I guess a sociologist and a socialist uh, almost goes hand in hand, right? My sister's a sociologist. Uh, she's a sociology professor, and she is quite the socialist on her views. So let's go on it anyway. So it says, but as a socialist, Elizabeth Warren is the real deal. And then he goes on. My job as a big-time media pundit requires me to spend quite a bit of time on Twitter, offering insightful bon mots on American politics, and posting vitally needed videos of cats using the commode. As a result, it's difficult to post a tweet 
that will truly shock me. And yet, Senator Warren has managed to do just that, as you can observe. Did you get that? Billionaires like this guy. Billionaire Henry Kravis. He's the line of... He, here's the line of thinking she's hoping to inspire, a line you can trace back to Maduro's Venezuela, to Castro's Cuba, and to Lenin's Russia, which is true. It, this, the line is this. See this guy? This guy's rich. He owns a ranch. He's got more money than I'll ever see in my life. And me, I'll, I have to pay for my own stuff like the expenses of raising children, plus global warm, warming, exclamation point. And this guy... What's this guy doing? Nothing. He's just sitting around being a billionaire with a bunch of stuff. I kind of misquoted that, but it's true. That's what, I mean, he's just sitting around. He's just being a billionaire with a bunch of stuff. Let's go take it. And that is what Senator Warren's economic theory is in a nutshell. So he goes on and he says, he basically makes that one particular point that um, this is a tax for envy, right? He says what Warren's proposing isn't an income tax, it's an envy tax, and the envy and class resentment she's hoping to ride to the White House is all over that tweet. And then her implication that the billions this guy earned on Wall Street over the past 50 years, since he's 70 years old, is the reason we don't have free childcare and free electric cars for all. There isn't any connection between the two, but Warren makes it seem that way. And that's what she's saying is that just be, like, you know, just because this guy has this nice big mansion in the mountains with, uh, and he's a billionaire or a millionaire, that somehow it's keeping other people from having their part as well. And that's the, that's the standard, um, you know, no, what is the, what do they call it? The, uh, you know, there's, there's a pie and everyone gets their piece and there's not any more for anyone else when the reality is is that it's an ever-growing pie that is out there, that zero-sums game idea. Um, and it's not a zero-sums game, but that's how uh, socialists tend to make people think or try to make people think that way. Uh, but he almost gets to the point, and this is what I want to say. This is, he says, no, this is about power. It's about putting people like this guy in his place at the mercy of Liz Warren and her eat the rich mob. That's how he ends the statement. And it's true. Having a tax like that is simply the way for, in, in her mind, in a person like Elizabeth Warren's mind, it's so that the government can have more power over the people. Taking and creating a tax that's going to tax somebody's wealth. So if you have $100 million, they're going to tax 2% of that every single year. And it's just... I've read a lot of articles about this already, and I did, a, I did an entire podcast on this particular issue. And nobody makes the point when I'm reading these articles. They all say, oh, well, these are the job creators. These are the people that are, you know, using their money to create jobs. They're spending it, so they're, uh, there's trickle-down as well and, and all that. But nobody makes the point, which I always try to make, is that that's not the government's money in the first place. So... What right does an Elizabeth Warren or anybody have in going and confiscating that person's wealth at gunpoint, if need be? That's not their money. So all it is is theft. It's thievery. And nobody wants to make that point, though. They want to say, oh, these are the job creators and so forth. Well, they're still going to be job creators. If you're a billionaire, you're most likely going to get out there and bust your butt and create create jobs or create create wealth 
and in effect create jobs. That's what you're going to do, whether the government's taking your money or not. Unless they take too much of it, then, there, then there's going to be that capital flight from our country, like what happened in France. I think they decided to have a multi, an ultra wealth or an ultra multimillionaire tax, uh, and it lasted about three years. And lots of French, you know, wealthy people were leaving the country at that point and keeping their money overseas and so forth. And that's just what people do. I mean, those very wealthy people, they have the ability to do that. They have the ability to, you know, send their money overseas, keep it in foreign bank accounts, um, show it as earned overseas, or hell, even move if they need to, right? Um, So, but it's not a matter of that. It's a matter of, is that something that is, is the government a better steward of your money than you are? I don't think so. And I get to the next point on that. It is going to trickle down from the ultra millionaire tax to the just the millionaire tax to the hey you have a hundred grand tax and then I heard someone say the other day in another article that in socialism it becomes millionaires and then ultimately down the road even having too much rice in your in your pantry is considered a sin and uh, they're willing to come confiscate that as well. And is that the road we want to go down? I don't think so. Okay, another uh, another thing I found online today, just looking through, I found the latest polls, and uh, there's a couple polls that come out in the last couple of days of 685 uh, registered voters, and this is what they found. 33% were for Biden. This is for the Democratic primary. 33% were for Biden, 15% uh, Sanders. Then you got Harris at 10%, Elizabeth Warren at 6%, Beto O'Rourke at 6%, Booker at 3%, Bloomberg 2%, Gillibrand is at 1%, Castro at 1%, Delaney at 1%. Those are people that have already decided they're going to run. So then you got Schultz at 0%. So there's not a lot of people looking for those. But the, the one that I was looking at is Biden has an 18%, uh, or excuse me, 33% uh, favorable rating. He's the one that's getting, uh, he's the best candidate they got, I guess. And he's up 18% on Bernie Sanders. So that tells me a, that tells me a lot. And then, so then I see another one. This is for people that have already, oh no wait, it has Elizabeth Warren at 43%. That is a Emerson College polling society. So these things are not really too accurate then. At this state in the game, it doesn't really matter anyway. Any one of these people can quickly become the front runner without a problem. But it's showing, but the one that, you know, they just wanted to bring that up that 33% are, uh, are saying that they'd vote for Joe Biden. That is registered voters it looks like so register it must be registered democrat because it's a democratic primary and typically only democrats would vote in that primary right unless they change their their party affiliation or some states i think you're allowed to vote in any of the primaries whether you're a democrat or republican it doesn't matter so um but that was interesting just wanted to bring that up as well also i found another one from the independent uh, co.uk and it's just a article real fast. And I think one of, uh, it says, Hillary Clinton will not run against Trump in 2020. U.S. election, former campaign chief insists. So this is written by Char- Chris Baines. 
And it says, Hillary Clinton's former campaign manager has poured cold water on speculation that she is planning to launch another bid for the White House. John Podesta said in 2000, the, the 2016 Democratic candidate had insisted she was not seeking to run for president again in 2020. I take her at her word. She's not running for president, he told CNN. So he was saying that he's probably very close to Mrs. Clinton as well. The broadcaster report then it says the broadcaster reported earlier this week that Ms. Clinton had not ruled out a second bid to defeat Donald Trump. She reportedly told friends she was not closing the doors on her Oval Office ambitions. Uh, then it says during the interview with Aaron Burnett on Tuesday, Mr. Podesta dismissed the speculation as media catnip. She says she's not running for president, he added. She's in Puerto Rico trying to help the people that Donald Trump has abandoned through the Clinton Foundation. they got to take a dig at Donald Trump through that, of course. I think she would have been a great president, but that's in the past, and she said she's not running. So this guy, I mean, John Podesta, he is definitely a, um, a Clinton insider for sure. He ran her campaign, and um, he's very well known in in the in the circle in the um circles as well so maybe they're trying to walk it back i don't know maybe they were just trying to float float it out there to see how the reaction would be to a clinton run and then now he's starting to walk it back and so is she at some point uh this article came out yeah earlier today which is uh i'm recording this right now on a thursday so it came out earlier today and uh just uh, maybe that is what they're doing. They're just trying to walk it back because maybe it didn't get good reaction that Hillary Clinton was going to try to rerun for president uh, in 2020. Just a quick update on Tulsi Gabbard as well. Um, they are really beating this woman up on the media. Uh, recently, they were talking about a couple of the cam, a couple of the campaigns, and uh, they were com- they were saying that you know. They were talking about one of the female candidates who is also an African-American candidate uh, that was running, that she would be a historic candidate. But then they did not. Or then they were talking about Tulsi Gabbard and just not giving her too much credibility as well in the same article. I think it was written by the New York Times. And uh, they're just beating this lady up from all sides. And I think it's more because of her anti-war stance than anything else. But... Then the articles start popping out in the last day or so. It says, Tulsi Gabbard campaign is in disarray. Tulsi Gabbard's presidential campaign isn't officially launched yet, but it's already melting down, they said. Two and a half weeks after the Hawaii Democrat told CNN she had decided to run for White House, an announcement that even her own staff didn't know was coming. After weeks of debating the timing of the rollout, the 37-year-old congresswoman was strugg- has struggled to contain the chaos. Um, so she and then what I heard recently is that her campaign manager already quit on her. I think that this is all normal stuff within a campaign right off the bat, though. It's uh, I I've, I mean you hear lots of campaign managers that quit. Uh, they said the same thing about Donald Trump back in you know 2015, 2016 when he started running. That you know he was having problems with his campaign as well. Now Tulsi Gabbard, I guess she doesn't have the name recognition that a Donald Trump had at the time but and also I mean Republicans just lined up again lined up behind Donald Trump uh he had all he was saying all the right things to these people right um and 
Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, when I, I just I just told you guys she has one percent of Democrats that are willing to vote for her right now. If it was you know if it was election day today, one percent. So she doesn't have a lot of name recognition right now. I don't know why the media is making such a hype about her and um, bringing all these things out. I think they're just trying to shut down the campaign before it even starts, and that's fine. That's uh, but I really want this woman to be on stage, not because of her economic policy, but because of her foreign policy. She's an anti-war candidate, and I just want that issue to be front and center on the stage, and she seems like she's going to make that front and center. So um, I just hate to see the, the, the media start beating her up already, and, you know, trying to get her to call it quits before things even start. So, so this, is the, this is the way that they wrap it up. The conflicts have robbed Cabard's long long-shot campaign of an early of the early momentum though she was one of the few members of congress to back sanders over hillary clinton in 2016 presidential race that endorsement has brought gabbard little goodwill among sanders supporters in hawaii said tim van Deer, vandeveer a former state party chairman who backed sanders in 2016 i think that proximity doesn't translate to support i have yet to talk to a single bernie sanders supporter who is supporting tulsi over bernie and Bernie hasn't officially announced yet. I don't think I'm trying to figure this out or not, if he really has announced or not. But, um, yeah, Tulsi Gabbard supported Bernie Sanders. And and this guy says that he hasn't found anyone that's willing to support her over Bernie Sanders. I think if Bernie Sanders runs, a lot of those um, Democratic socialists are going to move straight over to him. I don't see why they wouldn't. My nephew, for example, was a Bernie Sanders supporter back in... 2016 and uh, I think that he would jump right back on board with Bernie Sanders uh, just like a lot of Ron Paul supporters back in 2008 or 2012 that followed him in 2008 jumped right back into the thick of things to support him in 2012 so you'll see a lot of that as well Uh, Bernie Sanders is the father of this whole uh, democratic socialist movement uh, Tulsi Gabbard is a part of that uh, democratic socialist movement, but I do like the fact that she puts it front and center on her page that she's going to be anti-war. I was just looking at Bernie Sanders' campaign uh, issues for 2016, and then I was also looking at like a Friends of Bernie Sanders.org, I think, and I think it was BernieSanders.org. Maybe I'm not sure what the exact website was. I wish I could uh, list it for you immediately, but. If you go down the list of his issues, it has all of the free handouts, the free giveaways of government, like uh, free health care, free um, college tuition, free child care, fixing Social Security, increasing Social Security, things like that were like the front and center things on his thing. And then he gets into like transsexual rights, he gets into gay rights, he gets into veterans rights and things like that. Um, and then the, it's literally the last two things on his, on his uh, page were the anti-war issue like you're gonna put that 15 spots down on your campaign page when the government spends what is the third of their a third of the budget of the united states goes to the goes to the military and goes to the wars and you're gonna make that the the last thing on your list of issues i just can't believe that that should always be moved to the top because if you're going to cut somewhere the best place to cut is in the military uh because 
I mean, if you pulled all the troops home and you got rid of all of the intervention overseas and we didn't have bases all over the world, uh, we could cut down the military significantly. Uh, you might be able to cut that budget by half and have hundreds of billion dollars every single year that is cut. And as a libertarian, I would say cut it and then cut taxes to go with it. But hell, if these people want to take that money in and invest it elsewhere, I mean, that's where it goes, you know? I mean, it, at least it doesn't go to killing people in other countries, right? And that is, uh, oh, and taking over the countries and, you know, influencing other countries and so forth. I just think that that should be the front and center thing on Bernie Sanders' list. But they are just, but getting back to my point, they are trying to cut down the Gabbard campaign before it even starts. And a lot of the articles that are coming out now are negative towards her. And I really do think it's just because um, of her anti-war stance. So there, we, there's another thing that I wanted to bring up, and that was our uh, the, all these candidates that are now pushing for this Green New Deal. Didn't um, that court, that Congresswoman Cortez, uh, didn't she talk about this Green New Deal a couple weeks back? And now it's becoming a front and center issue for all of these Democratic candidates. We have Kamala Harris who just came out and says uh, in a tweet, "I support a Green New Deal." Climate change is an existential threat to all of us, and we have to got we have got to deal with the reality of it. And then Elizabeth Warren was saying things about it earlier today as well that she supports the Green New Deal and that we need to tax the millions millionaires and billionaires to make it happen. And then Michael Bloomberg, a the mayor of uh, or the ex mayor of New York City, says today I announced I'll, I'll outline a plan for a Green New Deal accelerating U.S. transition to 100% clean energy. The first pillar will be investing in people and communities that powered our economy for decades. The econ benefits of a Green New Deal must reach every corner of the country. Now, I don't know too much about the Green New Deal. I've heard a little bit about it. I've listened to a few podcasts about it, uh, but I'm not completely up to speed on what it all, what all it entails. Um, but I've heard that it seems like it's just a lot of government giving you know, special favors and special um, subsidies to solar and wind power, things like that, um, which whenever the government, the, the thing is, is whenever the government picks winners and losers and stuff, you end up having a lot less of the innovation that goes along with it, right? So if, if the government... For example, we're still using the same power grids that we used hundred or like a hundred years ago. Uh, there's been very little innovation in the ways that we get electricity to our homes, because everything's a government monopoly in that, right? So if you have these subsidies going to solar power, then you're going to have less innovation in the ability for solar to become um, better fiscally, I guess. So. The solar power, that innovation to make it like make one solar cell produce more power, that innovation slowly goes away um, because there's not a need for it because now we have subsidies on those things. And if you want innovation, if you want let let the solar, let the wind stand next to gas, stand next to coal, stand next to nuclear, and see which one is going to produce the most power on a regular basis. The problem with solar and wind is that is sporadic. 
since the sun doesn't shine all day, or excuse me, 24 hours a day, and the sun goes behind the clouds. So you're going to have less energy. So you're going to need more energy storage through batteries and so forth. And then um, they're trying to figure out ways to have better storage and so forth. But solar right now cannot stand on its own without subsidies against gas, oil, and even nuclear power. It can't stand on its own. You need to get rid of the subsidies. I, I'm, I'm forgetting rid of subsidies on everything. Coal, wind, uh, gas, nuclear. No subsidies for anything. Let everything stand on its own and see what is the best source of energy at this time. And at that point, you're going to have innovators trying to make their products, for example, solar power, better and more efficient and produce more energy at a le- less of a cost because they're going to be wanting to make a profit off of that because they could see the vision for the future. But as soon as the government steps in and creates that as the winner, then maybe somehow we would have a better product like wind products that are going to be uh, more dominant than the, than the solar products. So you don't want the government to choose winners and losers in this situation. And I think that's what I've seen from the Green New Deal is that it's just the government kind of, to be honest with you, I think it's just specific companies that are probably paying, paying off these senators and these Congress people to get behind this Green New Deal because they could see some profit motive for themselves, which is make our, make our, com- or make our product, um, supported by the government like that's i mean there's got to be people behind this that are getting their little you know subsidies behind the scenes they're paying off paying off elizabeth warren or whichever congressman they like the best they're paying them off and uh that's going to come come back into their pockets through these subsidies and so forth I guarantee that's the case because anytime there's a bill, anytime there's something like that that's going on that these people are trying to push, there's always somebody with dollar signs uh, in their eyes trying to get these issues passed. Finally, the last thing I wanted to say is there is this wild speculation about this Howard Schultz, who is the former Starbucks chief executive, founder of Starbucks. Uh, everyone, know, uh, not everyone knows who he is, but if you know anything about Starbucks, you definitely know who he is. Everything's, everyone's speculate, speculating big time about this guy running for president. I, I don't, I don't know if he, maybe he sent a little bit of information out there. Maybe he said something about it in the past. I don't know, but the Democrats are, I mean, there are just article after article about this guy and how he should not run for president. Um, there's one that says, Dear Billionaires, Stop Running for President. Then it talks about uh, Harold, Howard Schultz. It says, Howard Schultz's presidential ambitions spurred a month-long effort to disrupt the 2020 race. Uh, why Howard Schultz's independent bid for president is a radical idea. The Democratic Party's number one enemy is Howard Schultz. It's just amazing that this guy is at the front and center of running as an independent, but the Democrats do not want this. They definitely don't want this. Uh, and I, I don't know that he's, I mean, everyone drinks his coffee, I guess. Everyone knows his company, but are they really going to go vote for the guy? Is he really going to be a huge, is he really going to make a huge impact on the, on the democratic race? 
uh, I guess if he ran as a Democrat, maybe, but if he runs as an independent, I just don't see him taking away that many votes from whoever the Democratic nominee is. Although I have said in the past, if you have a very left-wing Democrat running against a very perceived, and I would say he probably is uh, right-wing Donald Trump, so you have one side Donald Trump. Uh, he's more of a populist, though. I don't say he's completely right-wing. I think that um, right-wing in the sense that I guess a lot of really right-wing people love the guy, right? But he's more of a populist in in the policies that he has. Uh, so you got Donald Trump, right-wing guy. You got a hugely, you know, an a, a very far left candidate like a Bernie Sanders running, if that person, if Bernie Sanders ends up becoming the nominee, then yeah, maybe somebody that's a Howard Schultz, and I don't even know this guy's politics, I know that he leans to be quite like a Democrat, right? Um, so if he runs, maybe he'll have a little bit more popular support, maybe he could pull some independents his way, pull some Democrats away from like the, some more central centrist Democrats away from the um, very far left Democrat, like a Bernie Sanders. Um, but I just don't see that independent that person, especially Howard Schultz running. Maybe a Michael Bloomberg or something, because um, he's very well known. But definitely not like not definitely not Howard Schultz. That's I don't think that's going to happen. But there is a lot of there are just a lot of news articles about this guy. Um, and how the Democrats just don't want him doing it. So uh, maybe, maybe he will throw his, his hat into the na- hat into the mix to run for president. Who knows? That would be interesting. And like I, say, I always say, twenty twenty might shape up like twenty sixteen and be a very interesting race, especially with Donald Trump throwing out all the tweets that he's going to throw out about these people, just totally destroying them. Um, it'll be funny, and Donald Trump is not scared to do it, I'm sure. Uh, that'll be interesting. So anyway, to wrap up, I certainly appreciate all of you listening today. It's, uh, it's an honor to have all of you listening. Go ahead, if you have a chance, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it, review it, uh, on whichever podcatcher you are listening through. We're uh, on all of them. Uh, Stitcher, Google, Google Play, uh, Apple podcasts you know any pretty, pretty much all of the podcasts podcatchers that you could listen through go ahead and rate us review us and then subscribe and also share with your friends i'd love for that to happen as well uh we are helping or i am helping you here uh to keep your eyes clear your vision 2020 on this 2020 election so come on back tomorrow and listen again on i on 2020